and welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase, and along with Liz Gumbiner, we're the founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, we're going to be talking to Nicole Cruz, a registered dietitian nutritionist and mama three, about developing healthy eating habits and positive food relationships with our tweens and teens. And as always... We will close out our show with our cool picks of the week. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Nicole Cruz is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, mom of three, and wife who takes an intuitive eating and non-diet approach to food. Her online practice is devoted to helping individuals and families reclaim their joy and find food freedom through one-on-one nutrition counseling and group programs. Whether you're parenting your child or reparenting yourself, and I feel that, I really feel that, Nicole is devoted to helping you foster a healthy relationship with food. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. All right. So let's start from the very beginning, because I do want to focus our conversation more on sort of teens and tweens and older kids. But I know that the conversations and attitudes about food need to start when kids are younger. Can you talk a bit about how parents can talk about food with their kids? so that they have a solid foundation as they get older? So what we really want to do is create a non-judgmental environment and around bodies for that matter, because you know so much of it is around how food might influence our body. And so somehow they get wound up together. But really the idea is to create a sense of neutrality around food. And this is about the food itself and it's about the person for eating it. What I mean by that is you are not a better person because say you choose to eat an apple over a cookie. You're not being good that day because you choose the apple and you're not being bad because you choose the cookie. And an apple is not inherently a good food and a cookie inherently a bad food. And so what we really want to do is just create this judgment-free environment about all food, about all people when eating. And part of that is because we want to help our children be able to listen to their body and listen to what feels good to them, listen to their hunger and fullness, to their satiety, cues. And what happens is when we start creating these judgments and ideas about what you should eat, what you have to eat, what's better for you to eat, is that we take them away from these internal cues that they're naturally born with. And we start putting it on external ideas about what they should eat. And that tends to create difficulty checking in with their body signals, but it also can create a lot of guilt and shame for choosing foods that maybe they feel like they're not supposed to eat. That's foundational to how we want to think about food with our kids. That's super helpful. And quite frankly, just hearing you say those things, I already feel liberated. (laughs) Like my child who had so much shame and guilt and judgment around food. And I I imagine some people, I would say most people had a difficult relationship at some point in their life with food. So I find that to be really liberating. Just to kind of piggyback on that, how do parents know what their kids should be eating. 
you know, like there's the food pyramid, which, you know, a lot of that stuff is like marketing. But when I had a baby, I thought, okay, they need to make sure that they have vegetables at every meal. But like, I, why, why do I think that? I don't even know. So where do you tell parents to go or what resources or information do you give new parents or, you know, parents with younger kids or I don't know, even older kids to know what they should be eating? You're right on with like, this is a really common concern for parents, right? Is what should I be feeding my child? How much should I be feeding my child? There's something to that that I think is important. We want to provide a variety of nutrients, but we have to take a step back to what we were talking about before is our children being able to listen to their bodies. It's really not our job to get our children to eat any specific foods at specific times. Mm. Our job is to make food available, provide food for our children. Part of this is children want quick and convenient things. They want what's comfortable. They're impulsive. So they're just going to grab something because they see it, right? So they just might see the cookies on the shelf and just grab one and eat it automatically because it looks good in the moment. So really our job as parents is to, of course, allow them to have those foods as well, to include those, but to also set them up for success by providing a variety of different nutrients, right? Like your four-year-old isn't going to go cut up apples and cheese or something like like that. So right. as parents, we need to do the job of making that available to them so that it's easy and convenient, but still in this pressure-free and non-judgmental way so that our children can listen to their body. We're setting the stage. We're giving them the opportunity to then check in and be able to eat intuitively. And what we know is that children do actually eat quite intuitively when they're given the opportunity to do so. But often either there's this permissive or what I like to look at is more of like just a lack of support in the feeding relationship. So maybe you aren't actually getting that food out and available. And so they're probably just going to continue to pick the same sorts of easy, convenient, taste good things, right? Just like granola bars or chips or crackers, whatever's comfortable for them, whatever's easy or over control where we're dictating bites, right? Like you need to at least try your vegetables or you need to finish your plate or if you want more bread, you need to take two bites of your chicken mm -hmm. or micromanaging more around what they should eat. What we want to do is come to the middle. And this is the foundation to the work that we do. It's called the Division of Responsibility by Ellen Satter. I actually tend to take maybe a more flexible approach than what she recommends, but I can't not mention her because it's so foundational to the work that we do, which is parents are in charge of providing the what, when, and where of food. So you decide, you know, it's dinner time at 6 p.m. We're having chicken, rice, and broccoli and sourdough bread or something. That's what we're serving for dinner. And then your kid gets to come to the table and within what you're providing, they get to listen to their body and decide, what do I want to eat from this? How hungry am I? When am I full? Do I actually need more bread tonight instead of another serving of broccoli? Kids are good at doing that when a variety of food is available. Mm. So what we often think about in recommend to parents, it goes back to what you were saying about like they need to eat the vegetables at every meal. What we actually want to look at, and I hesitate to like recommend this, but I also think it can be helpful, is that you look at what your child's eating over the course of a week mm -hmm. as opposed to at any individual meal. Kids tend to balance out their intake over time on their own. And I've seen this a million times over with my kids. I remember one time we went apple picking and my son was just picking the apples and literally eating them off 
the tree, right? The whole time, just apple, apple, apple. And we got to pick some to take home as well. I was like, how can you still want more apples, you know? And then we brought all these apples home and he did not touch a single apple that we picked and brought home, right? Because he had had probably five apples while we were apple picking. He was done with it. I've seen my kids eat, you know, three bowls of ice cream one night and then not touch it the next night or have like, oh, can we have ice cream? And we get it out and then they have two bites of it and they're done. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not really looking at every single meal they need to eat a certain way. It's about letting it balance out. And the balance is likely going to be different than what you think it quote unquote should be as well. You know, we have these ideas again from my pyramid or my plate and all these different ideas about the perfect portions, but kids are constantly growing and their bodies are changing and they go through growth spurts where they do need more carbs than another time, or they're just being more active. I have a friend that told me, I let my kids eat two pieces of pizza. And then if they're still hungry, they can have fruits or vegetables. And I was like, what if they're still hungry for more pizza though? Like, how do you know how hungry your child is? What maybe they need more protein and fat. They don't need more fruits and vegetables. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe they need something that's going to be like, yes, that is settling my belly right now. I am hungry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we have to be careful about that and, and really trusting our children actually. And that's what this comes down to. It's building a trusting relationship where our children trust us to provide them food and we trust them to listen to their bodies to eat. I love this. So going back to the initial question, there isn't a perfect right amount or portion that we can do. And what we want to get back to is the basics. Parents are in charge of providing the what, when, and where. So as that parent or caregiver, you want to make sure that you are putting out a variety of nutrients at each meal. Meals, I aim for some form of carbohydrate, some form of protein, some fat, and some sort of produce in there. Make sure you're doing your job by providing those various nutrients at snack. We want to try to provide again, some sort of carbohydrate, whether that's, you know, grain or fruit or whatever, that's going to create that and some sort of protein or fat as well. So that snacks are actually satisfying. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people say, oh, just offer them vegetables if they're still hungry or something, but no, we can think of them as mini meals so that they still have the opportunity to get different nutrients in. That makes a ton of sense to me, right? As you're talking, I'm thinking of my own grocery shopping. I'm thinking about the foods that are available to my mostly teenagers, right? I have an 11-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 17-year-old. And as you were talking about, they're just going to grab what's available to them. And I'm looking at them grabbing the muffins that are on the counter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, okay, I need to do a better job of the variety of things. But we're not necessarily saying no to the foods that we might consider to be junk foods. Do you have like a healthy foods versus junk foods? Like, how do you talk about that? And how do you navigate that with older kids who are like, you have no snacks in the house. These (laughs) snacks suck. How do you deal with that? Because younger kids, I feel like we do have a little more control, but it's a little different when you're dealing with teens or maybe it's not. You tell me. Oh, you're absolutely right. This process continues to evolve. We want to think about it just as parenting in general, that we're going to provide a more supportive structure when they're younger. And as they're getting older, that's constantly evolving and we're becoming more and more hands-off. 
when you have a younger child, say that is four or five, even seven. I mean, just now my nine-year-old, I'm starting to give a bit more freedom to, but still they're not able to think about those meals in the same way that adults can. It's not until they're more like tweens that they start putting together meals for themselves a bit more. Up until then, every meal and snack is more, you're putting the food out, you're making it available. That's all that's available at that meal or snack, right? Is what you provide and then you let your child choose. Yes. But as they're getting a little older, they're going to start taking on some of those. Kids now make their own breakfast or their own lunch or they get their own snacks, but they still have family dinner. And what you serve at family dinner is what's provided. They're not making their other food or doing whatever. That You can still have expectations, even with a teenager, that we do family breakfast on the weekends, or maybe you still do their breakfast for them. You know, you have to figure out what's a fit for your family. We're just continuing to hand over that control to them slowly so they can start taking on some of that responsibility, which is meeting our children where their abilities are to be able to provide for themselves. So we have more responsibility when they're younger and then we start giving more responsibility to them so that by the time they are teenagers, they're able to take on most of the providing for themselves. If we're doing a quote unquote good job at this, Mm -hmm. then we're setting that up for them all along just by role modeling it. Like they're just absorbing, oh, this is what we put out for a meal. Mm -hmm. We're role modeling it without necessarily having to teach them. Like you need to eat this, this, and this. We're just, this is what's available. This is how you can think of a meal by putting it out and they're absorbing that. That's one thing. But now as they're getting older, I love that you said, they say there's no snacks and whatever. Yeah. I had a client who she would laugh though. So she's like, I just made my kids a list and I put it on the fridge and it says like your list of nothing to eat in this house. (laughs) She's like, I've got everything. And here they are complaining that there's nothing to eat. Some of the ways though, that we can help them transition here. One thing to do is to talk about variety and to talk about satisfaction and what's going to help keep us full. Like you said, we don't want to get into good food, bad food, junk food, healthy food. In fact, I don't think those labels are helpful for anyone, kids or adults. Agree. And I don't think they're even accurate. What does that even mean to say junk food necessarily? Like candy, it actually still provides carbohydrates. And so I know that it might be like, oh, but it doesn't have other nutrients. Okay, but carbohydrates are a nutrient. Mm -hmm. And for someone that's having a blood sugar dip, what they might need is a piece of candy really quick to get their blood sugar up so they can think a little more clearly so they can get a full meal going for themselves, right? So they're not just like crazy hangry or something. Or maybe that's what's available on a road trip. And we don't want this fear of like, oh, that's junk food. I can't eat fast food. It's junk food when all their friends are stopping there. So what are they going to do? Just not eat and then be starving? Like we have to be careful about the shame and the guilt and the labels that come around that. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right to be cautious of that and like how that's not helpful to think of food in that way. But what we can do is help them see how eating a muffin might not be as satisfying as if they eat a muffin and then also have a handful of nuts or a string cheese or something that's going to provide more protein or fat with it. We can start to help them see that, but even at their age, I wouldn't dictate it. I wouldn't say, oh, remember, you're supposed to have protein with that. You need to add the protein. Oh, yes. No, we're just guides. This makes so much sense to me. And I think the challenge for so many parents, though, is that we ourselves don't actually know what we should be eating ourselves because we grew up in 
in this awkward, weird, terrible diet culture, right? Like you talked about, you know, kids often need fats and proteins for snacks. Like you see them as little meals. That wasn't something that I grew up with. My whole childhood was like, you can't have anything, right? Candy is bad. Sugar is bad. It's awful. And all I wanted to do was eat candy, right? Like that's all I wanted to do, which I'm sure you've probably seen. So how do we then know ourselves, right? Like you just said that muffin along with some cheese or some nuts is going to give you, I don't know, more energy or it's going to help satisfy you more than X, Y, and Z. I have done it typically with my kids because they play sports. And that has been like an easy gateway in my mind to having these conversations because it's like, this is actually going to help fuel you on the field. However, that may not be the best thing because what they need to be fueled with on the field may be different than what they would need every day. So help a girl out. (laughs) How do I have those conversations and make those suggestions from what sounds to me like, I don't want to say health, but in some ways it is like mental health, physical health, knowing yourself, which is part of mental health. Well, part of it is that we're also giving our children these opportunities to learn about their bodies, right? So we can give that little bit of guidance, but if they decide this is what I want to eat for the game, let's see how they feel. You know, maybe they're okay with it. I mean, sometimes I'm (laughs) astonished when I think back to my athletics and high school and I would sometimes eat like a Snickers bar and a Coke for lunch. I mean, (laughs) somehow I was perfectly fine, right? And I'm not saying like, let's model that and let's say it's the ideal lunch, but what if they are okay? You Mm -hmm. know, like we're Mm -hmm. putting so much pressure on like, this has to be perfect, but what if they are okay doing that? And if they're not, maybe we'll see that. Maybe they'll feel that. Maybe we can talk about it. We can still provide some guidance, but I'm just saying that sometimes we have these idealistic ideas, but maybe they're going to be okay, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I live in Southern California and my kids got to go to SoFi Stadium where the Rams play and do this football event that night. They got to go and play on the field with their league and it was so exciting for them and all the things. But because it was like a special event for our league, they weren't selling anything concessions wise. You weren't allowed to bring any food into the stadium. And we had to eat earlier than when we normally would eat because we got down there early and we were going to be in there for over three hours. And so we picked up sandwiches on the way. And one of my kids was just like, I'm not hungry. I tried to guide him. We're going to be in there for three hours, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you get hungry, I am not going to have any food available for you. So like my suggestion would be that you at least eat a little bit of your sandwich, even if you're not hungry for all of it right now. Like I understand that because I also don't want to override his signals, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. you have to eat or we're not going. He's like, I'm not hungry. So I'm just providing some guidance and providing some education and then I'm letting him make his choice. And he decided not to eat. (laughs) And, you know, a couple hours in, he was starving, Mm -hmm, right? Like mm -hmm. he had played his game. He was in my lap starving. And it was slightly annoying to have this starving child. And at the same time, it was a good learning experience for him. He learned much more about that than me lecturing him and making him eat. That's so true. I see this with my own kids. My daughter in particular, my 13-year-old, gets very easily dehydrated and gets headaches after playing games. And it's gotten to the point now where she knows, I need to drink this water. I need to eat these things before a game. Otherwise, I'm going to feel bad bad after. And I've never made her, I don't make my kids eat anything before games or ever really, right? Like that's just not how I function, but those natural consequences. And of course I should point out, I am in a very privileged position for my kids to not 
have to experience hunger over a long course of time, because I know many people do, and that is part of their life and it's not part of ours. So that can be a learning experience that they can eat something afterwards, right? And say, oh, okay, I felt like crap. I am not going to do that again because I know how that felt. And I love that you talk about it as a suggestion. And I think with teenagers in particular, like that is where you need to be. You need to be a guide or I'm not even really a mentor, but just someone who is like, you know, you're going to be on the field for six hours. Cheese or bread or whatever it is can really help you not feel hungry, you know, in the middle of your game. Just saying. Yeah. But then letting them make the choice and learning that lesson afterwards. I love this. All right. So let's talk about some specific scenarios where parents could really use your help. Okay. One of the things that I encounter is I have a kid who is very used to having food sort of offered to them, right? So it's like, our meal is here. Now it is time for breakfast. Our meal is here and now it is time for lunch. And they are very hyper-focused on what they're doing, whether it's a video game or whatever else. So what happens is they end up getting hangry right? Long story short, hanger happens because they're not listening to their bodies. They're not stopping. And they're used to having an adult be the provider of the food. And they're at an age, you know, teenager where that doesn't need to happen. So what would you say to a parent who's in that circumstance? Like, how would you work with a parent and child or children who are encountering this? Because I know that this is not an uncommon situation. So for a younger child that this was happening with, we would have them pause the game and say, it's lunchtime, it's time to come to the table. And if they're like, well, I'm not hungry, you can say, well, that's okay. You don't have to eat, but it's time to pause the games and come to the table. So we're creating that space for them to listen to their body, to say, nope, it's time to take a pause. It's time to fuel your body. And if you choose not to, that's okay. But that's where that structure comes into place. So that's what we would do is take that pause out for a younger child. As our child's getting older, we still, you know, do the same thing. It's time to come to the table, et cetera. We might even give them more choice on what they want to get for the snack, but we might still say it's time to pause and come to the table, et cetera. Now we still want to be that supportive role. So you might brainstorm with your child. You know, I've noticed that you get really overly hungry Mm. when you don't pause to eat. Mm -hmm. What do you think we can do? Maybe if your kid has a phone, you put timers on their phone, you know, with them so that they can check in and they're just check-in timers. They're not, you have to eat. They're like, oh, the alarm goes off. That's a signal for me to check in with my body. Am I hungry? Should I go get something to eat? Maybe you brainstorm together some really quick and easy snacks that they can have that are satisfying and you support them with that. You know, is there something that I could do to help with that? You know, would it be helpful for me to help you prepare some of these things or to have a few of them readily available for you? You know, so coming together and see how can I support them? Mm -hmm. And that might be in different parts of the structure, like the actual food or the putting the timers on their phone to pause and check in. But again, at the end of the day, we're not going to force them. You know, we're just trying to set them up for the best possible success. I love that. And giving them agency, which is especially important for older kids, for your teens and your tweens. I love this idea of getting them involved, but at the end of the day or the end of the hour or whatever, they're the ones making the decisions about whether they're going to eat or not. You're the one who just gets to say, you know, the last time you didn't eat breakfast, 
this is what happened. Just reminding you of that situation. You didn't really love how you felt. You were in a really bad mood. We kind of got in an argument. So I'm just putting that out there that that might be something to think about. And then letting them do it, which I think for parents is really hard because we know what's going to happen. Like you knew your kid was going to be hungry (laughs) when you were at the stadium. But that's part of parenting and that's not just food. But I think food in particular is very difficult for parents to let go of. There are other things that parents are more willing to do, but it just seems really hard. And I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a Gen Xer. Like, I feel like the older parents are like, you're not going to eat. Oh no. Right. Like I, I can hear my mom or my grandmother's voice in my head, you know, going like that just cannot be, you will not survive, but actually they will survive and they'll be better for it because they'll learn, like you said, how to listen to their own bodies and learn how their bodies function in those different situations. Okay. Here's another scenario. We have a child who was super active when they were younger and then their body starts changing and maybe they didn't think too much. They just sort of grabbed whatever they wanted, which again, as you said, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but they're noticing the changes in their body. They're not feeling as great. And the parent doesn't know how to have that conversation in a way that is empowering because it's like your body has changed. You were not fueling it really well before, and now you need to think more about it. So like, how does a parent approach that? I mean, puberty, your eating changes, your needs change. And I think this can't be the only parent struggling with that sort of scenario. So a couple things to untangle here. One is knowing that when kids hit puberty, they are supposed to get gain a significant amount of weight. And that's not something that we're supposed to prevent or try to change or think is bad or anything like that. Girls often gain 20 plus pounds during that period of time. That is really important for us to know and to not think, oh my gosh, what's going on? I have to control this. I have to change it. I have to change what they're eating. I have to be more active. No, that's like a normal part of development. And if we weren't such a fat phobic society, then we wouldn't view it as bad. We would just see it as a normal part of development. But instead we go off the hinges with any sort of or anybody. So the first part is just having reasonable expectations of what's normal growth, what is supposed to happen. Yes. And knowing that bodies change. And this is true, not even just for puberty, but there's that saying, for lack of a better word, of kids grow out and then up and then out and then up, right? Like we see that happen with younger children too. And again, we don't have to stop or control that. Not every kid is going to follow their exact perfect growth curve that their peers do or any of that. We just need to be mindful of what's normal development. Of course, if your child is taking significant jumps in their weight or significant drops in their weight, Mm -hmm, then we mm -hmm. do want to be mindful of that. I don't want to be negligent, but even that is not something that we would say we have to change their body. Mm -hmm. That is a symptom to us. That is a signal, like a red flag. Hmm. What's going on with my child, right? Like if their weight spikes up significantly and it seems out of nowhere, you're concerned about it. We might want to look at is something going on with their emotional health? Are we concerned because they're binge eating and they're hiding it from us? Are they upset with school? Is something physical going on? Might they have a thyroid problem, right? But typically in our society, we just jump to, we have to control the weight and then we end up doing a disservice to what the bigger picture could be that's going on. And in turn, we make our kids feel bad about their body. So we want to know that it's normal to have different rates of growth. It's normal to gain weight. Kids are supposed to gain height and they're also supposed to gain weight. And that happens at different rates at different times. That is the first piece. Now, 
you mentioned not feeling well or not feeling good or that sort of thing. And so I would be curious what your child is bringing to you because that is what we need, right? Instead of us deciding, oh, they can't feel good or that must not feel good or whatever it is. What is it that they're actually bringing? Is it they don't feel good in their body because it's changed or is it they don't feel good physically because Mm. of what they're eating? Mm -hmm. And maybe Kristen, for you, you have like specifics around that that could be good for us to kind of parse out a little bit. Yes. Well, I think it's body image thing. Okay. It's not a physical health thing. It is body image and having a body that's different than their peers, whatever that may be, right? If it's curvier or it's just different body shape. And, you know, this is, we're talking middle school and that's a really tough time. But yeah, I would say it's more body image than like actual, like my stomach hurts. Okay. Yes. And that is a really hard time, right? And our kids are always going through this comparison with, you know, other people. And we have this idealistic idea of what body should look like in our culture and all of those things. And it's really good though, because those are two different things, right? Like mm-hmm, if they're not mm-hmm. feeling good about the food they're eating because they're feeling sluggish or lethargic or they're always hungry or whatever, then we can focus on the food and we can help them figure out different snacks that are going to feel better. We can help them tune into their body cues. Are they consistently eating past fullness or are they ignoring their hunger signals, getting overly hungry? What's happening? We can focus on that. But if it's about body image We want to talk to them about their bodies then. We want to build confidence around their body. We want to talk to them about how bodies come in all different shapes and sizes, and they're supposed to do that. We can expose them to images of women in larger bodies or men in larger bodies, just depending. We're talking about a daughter here Mm -hmm, though, mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. are doing amazing things in the world. Like We can do those things to help them feel more confident in their body instead of saying, you're right. You don't feel good in your body. Let's figure out how to change it. Let's change this with your food. And let's get you more active and let's do that because the truth is we don't have as much control over our bodies as we think we do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. much of it is genetic. Instead, we in our culture make people believe that they can entirely change their body. And usually what that ends up doing is creating a lot of guilt and shame around different bodies and creates disordered patterns with food that actually make people typically gain more weight because they end up on these diet cycles of you know on and off, on and off, which messes with your metabolism. It resets your body to want to protect itself from starvation and all of these things that end up actually creating greater weight gain than we would have just naturally experienced if we would have just allowed our body to be the size that it needs to be. What we really want to do is separate body size from health and body size from food. And so if our child isn't feeling good in body image issues, and at the same time, if we're noticing that they're inactive, we can talk about how moving our body feels good. We can Mm -hmm. find activities that they enjoy because it actually helps our brain health. It helps make us feel more motivated. Those are two different things though. And we don't want to do that and talk about activity to help them change their body as opposed to just feeling good in their body because their body's capable and they feel empowered from it. Yeah. I mean, I talk to my friends about this all the time in that exercise for me was always about weight. It was always about body size. And I actually have found later in life, I've realized that exercise is actually good for me emotionally and mentally. It lifts my mood. I feel much better mentally after I exercise. And that is like a tertiary message that I have. It is not my first go-to when I am feeling not so great, but it always successfully makes me feel better. And that is because of systematically feeling as though exercise has to do with you fitting in a certain size pants. And And that's my own experience. 
experience, but I know that there are probably a lot of other people out there who have experienced that as well. So it's so helpful to hear you say that because that's the message that I want my kids to have about activity, about sports, about whatever we're doing is this is just good for you overall. It's just good to do. And it has nothing to do with your size being bad or wrong or even different. That message to me feels really important, especially now when kids are bombarded with all of these counter messages, particularly on social media. And listen, I love social media, but I think that they're being exposed way more to it than at least I was growing up. Absolutely. It's true. And that's why, you know, in our homes, we really want to try to think critically about those messages that they might be seeing and help them think critically about them and provide a different perspective so that we're not just reinforcing those cultural messages, but actually helping them see it different. And again, go back to like them even being able to choose, you know, that, yeah, I hear your friends think that way about bodies or whatever. And this is what I believe to be true for bodies, you know, that bodies are supposed to be all different shapes and sizes. And that's what makes our human condition, you know, so amazing to have this diversity, you know, and that we can start having those open conversations and helping them think about it instead of just saying, I need to lose weight. I need to be thinner. I need to look like so-and-so. Well, I have to say all of this is more challenging for folks. I'll just call myself out who have had eating issues, probably like a subclinical eating disorder for sure. And myriad body issues to raise three girls, one boy, and deal with this kind of stuff in a way that is supportive and helps guide them to a healthy relationship. When I still kind of don't. And it is a personal struggle for me on a daily basis. I know that I'm not the only one. I'm sure that you deal with a lot of parents who are struggling with their own stuff. And so what do you say to those parents? I mean, in your bio, it talks about reparenting, which I imagine a lot of this process is reparenting for folks like me who have had issues and have issues. But what do you say to parents who struggle with this personally? Like this is in some ways re-traumatizing. It's also in some ways helpful to heal our own wounds, but I would love to hear what sort of encouragement or support or words of wisdom you have to those parents. Absolutely. And Kristen, you're right. It's not a solo experience for you, right? Like it's a very common experience. You know, I saw my mom, she never really said things specific to me, but she dieted all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So just absorbing, like that's what women are supposed to do. They're supposed to diet. They're supposed to change their bodies, right? And knowing like, okay, I don't want to pass that down to my children, you know, at least to the best of my ability to do. And so many of us have gone through far more trauma around food and bodies. I've heard horrendous stories about, you know, being put on really strict diets or even having surgical things done to try to remove body fat and things Mm -hmm. for teenagers and stuff. There's so much for so many of us around food and bodies. And so first, I just want to send so much compassion if you are struggling with this and know that it's normal to feel potentially triggered by your child's eating behaviors or their body size. That doesn't make you, you know, a bad parent or mean that you're not caring. Or I I have so many parents that just feel guilty for that. Like I look at my child and it's so hard to see that body or whatever it might be. And it makes sense because that was your own personal experience and trauma. And even if it wasn't, we are consistently given the message that we should not be in larger bodies. We should gain weight. And so we want to protect our children 
from that too, because our culture is not inherently super kind to people that live Mm -hmm. in larger bodies. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it makes sense if you're coming from this place of wanting to protect your child, wanting them to be happy, healthy, and feel good and all of those things. This is where it's really important for us as parents to do our own work, like notice those triggers. And instead of just reacting to them, notice, oh my gosh, you know, this gives a really uncomfortable feeling in my body when I watch my child eat those potato chips again, or when I see them gaining weight, I feel the anxiety. I want to change it or I want to say something. And just having that awareness to start about this makes me uncomfortable because so often we feel that, but we don't even pause, right? We just go right in to try to fix the behavior, put the chips away, or (laughs) you've had enough, you know, whatever it might be. And so how can we just notice that within ourselves and really start to ask, like, what's coming up for me? What are my thoughts around this to gain some awareness around it? And then do your own work on healing your own relationship with food and your body. And there are resources and books that can help support you with that. There's, you know, the intuitive eating book and an intuitive eating workbook, you know, just additional books by other authors like Sabrina Strings has Fearing the Black Body, which talks a lot about being in a larger body size and where our fear around that even came from, you know, the roots of that. And such a great read. It's based on facts and history. And it's also entertaining in a way to read. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg, right? With books and things, but there's resources for you. You can reach out for one-on-one either therapy with somebody who specialized food and body image issues mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. to seek out a dietitian like myself who does the same, who can really help you work on healing your own relationship with food as well. And that's really where it starts. But even just literally starting with awareness around it is the first step. Because if we don't have that awareness, we have no ability to make change. We just keep reacting in the same patterns. This is hard and this is uncomfortable and it doesn't have to be this way. I can start to shift those patterns now. And I think that's so important too, because there are many women that I interact with daily online who didn't necessarily have issues with food or body image until they hit perimenopause. And then our body changes. It's sort of like puberty, right? And like, there are things that happen to your body that just happen to your body, like puberty at perimenopause. And so many of us are not familiar with that. I wonder if it's that time period that those things that maybe we didn't have, or maybe we had and they were latent, right, are resurfacing. I just talked to so many women who talk about the changes in their bodies and how it's frustrating and disorienting. And it's funny that as you're talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's kind of the same as puberty. It's like, we don't really know what the actual realistic expectation is in puberty for weight gain or body change. And here we are in our own lives at a point in time where we don't know that either. I just think, like you said, to really look at yourself and identify. It's so important too, right? Because we have unrealistic expectations around it. And so not only are we noticing our body changes, which can feel uncomfortable, individuals just say things like, it doesn't even feel like my body anymore. I look in the mirror and I don't feel like me. And there's these just shifts and changes that happen. On top of that, the cultural message is anti-aging, bounce back after baby, right? And so not only might you be feeling the sense of discomfort in your own body, you're also being told that that shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. That's not the way it's supposed to be, that you should be able to change it. And so there's just these layers upon layers of it that we're dealing with, you know, that can feel really hard to change because we're given that message so strongly in our culture as well. This has been such a valuable conversation of selfishly for me (laughs) because of my own stuff and with my kids. But I know that so many people are going to benefit from hearing you. But what's exciting is that they can find 
you. They can work with you. So you're on Instagram. It's Nicole Cruz, C-R-U-Z. Nicole is N-I-C-O-L-E-C-R-U-Z-R-D on Instagram. It's also your website and you have a Facebook group. This is, I love this, Joyful Eating for Your Family. That's the name of the group. And how do people work with you? Are they contact you through the website? Do you work with people online? You said something about groups or individuals. So just briefly, I guess, describe if someone is interested in working with you, what does that look like? So I do have some programs and groups for parents working on helping their children have a healthy relationship with food. And so much of it that we do is actually doing our own work in there. You know, a lot of parents come in like, I want to help my kid not be so obsessed with sweets. And in doing that work, we're also really looking at our own mindset around that. And again, you know, healing our own relationships in my programs, Making Sense of Sweets. It's an online program. And if you're concerned about your child and their, what a lot of parents will describe as obsession or just heavy desire for sweets, that seems like that's all they ever want to eat. Or if you're just concerned with how much sugar your child eats and you're not sure how to go about that, and it does have support with it. So it's like a course where you can watch video lessons, but also you get support to chat with me and ask your questions and all of those things. And same thing for Feed Your Family with Confidence, which is more overall around the foundations that we were talking about today, which is how to raise an intuitive eater and how to take the battles out of food, the pressure away, and really allow your child to be able to listen to their body and to not have food in mealtimes just feel so stressful. So I have both of those online programs and I do have some really starter courses as well on my website. It's like start here. If you're new to this philosophy, there's one mm-hmm. called End Mealtime Battles and one called Foundations to Raise an Intuitive Eater. And they're under 75 minutes, short video lessons and PDFs that you can just really get like a hold on. Where do I even start with this work? Those are available as well. And then I do offer one-on-one parent nutrition coaching and individual support. So you don't have to be a parent to do this work. I work with a lot of teenagers and adults on healing their disordered relationships with food, as well as parents on kind of doing both, (laughs) figuring out how to best help their child and how to work on their own relationship with food. And that's all by Zoom. It's all virtual. So I can work with you pretty much wherever you're at. Fantastic. What an opportunity for people who are struggling or have teens who are struggling to really be able to work on this stuff. And I love this idea that you can start where you are, right? Like in my head, I'm like thinking about the conversation I had with my daughter two weeks ago in the car about cupcakes. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like feeling regretful. But the thing is, you can start from where you are right now where you can move forward and hearing everything that you had to say. I think there are going to be a lot of people who are like, oh, it's okay. I did all that stuff. I don't want to do that anymore. And I can move forward. And and have a new attitude or at least start to have a new attitude about food and feeding my family and raising my kids who have great relationships with food as well. Absolutely. We'll be right back with our cool picks of the week right after this. Well, hey, this is Kristen. And as an author myself, I am so excited to introduce you to today's sponsor. We're so lucky to have a fellow author and one whom I'm not sure you know about just yet, but you will be so, so glad and your kids will be too that you have learned about Carol P. Roman. She's the award-winning author of over 50 children's books. And you know, her best-selling book, The Big Book of Silly Jokes for Kids, 800 plus jokes, has actually reached number one on Amazon 
Amazon in March of 2020 and has remained in the top 200 books since then. Carol, congratulations. You know, she told us that whether it's pirates, princesses, spies, or discovering the world around us, her books have enchanted educators, parents, and most importantly, at least in this case, her diverse audience of children of all ages. You know, she writes books that are great for reluctant readers. I have a couple in my house, so I feel that pain. These books are so great for those readers. And what we love here at Spawn and at Cool Mom Picks, they tackle hard issues like bullying, fears, self-esteem. In particular, keep your eye out for Grady Will, that's W-H-I-L-L, and the Templeton Codex. And of course, joke books. Kids love joke books. Giggles galore, jokes, riddles, and fun facts for children of all ages. You may also know her if you were me and lived in historical and cultural series and the Oh Susanna book series. But I would say definitely keep up with that Grady Will and the Templeton Codex. That one is highly, highly recommended. You know, Carol creates characters that kids can relate to, and these books open up the door for discussions, which we as parents really appreciate. She really makes reading fun. So whether it's culture, history, or facing your fears, Carol P. Roman has a book for everyone. And with over 50 books, I'd have to say I completely agree with that statement. Now, if you're interested in learning more, and trust me, you will be. Again, Grady Will and the Templeton Codex. Try to say that 10 times fast. <laughs> that book is what you want to keep your eye on, but she's got so many more. You can find them at Amazon.com. It's Carol with an E, P, Roman, R-O-M-A-N, Great He Will, W-H-I-L-L, and the Templeton Codex. Giggles galore, jokes, riddles, and fun facts for children of all ages. You'll find her. She pops right up. And of course, we will share this link in our show notes on coolmompicks.com. Thank you so much, Carol, for all the work that you're doing, creating amazing books for kids. All right. Well, now it is time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Nicole, you're our guest, so you get to go first. Okay. There's a couple of things. So one is there are these cards that I pick every day. They're by Louise Hay and they're called How to Love Yourself Cards and they're a deck of affirmations. And so I pick one card and put it out on my desk every day so that I can look at it. And like today, I have one sitting here that says, I choose a bright future now. And the moment I start to change, the moment I am willing to bring good into my life, the universe responds in kind. And so mm. every day pick something that's kind of going to make me smile, to make me feel good. And I leave it there so I can look at it throughout the day. So that was one thing. And then the other was, I was like on a really practical level. I was just like, you know, I feel like we're always running as busy parents and especially as moms who this could be anybody, but just very typical here tend to take on the brunt of the cooking and all the things, you know, with sports and running from one place to the next. I have just been loving these artisan flatbreads that I get that I can use for dinner and all different types. Like we can make pizza on it or we can do some sort of Greek Ooh. type of thing or okay. whatever it is. And that's just been like a lifesaver for me lately. <laughs> I think that's so smart. You know, we do that sometimes with non like Indian bread and people get it when they get Indian food. But, you know, we use it for all sorts of things, sandwiches and pizzas. And it's so versatile. So I love this idea. Artisan flatbreads is going to add that to my grocery list. OK, well, my cool pick of the week are these new shorts that I discovered. I've been doing a lot of style and fashion, sort of over 40. I'm a regular person, size large, 10, 12, however many pounds, because 
because I feel like as we talked about body image and diet culture and all those things, it's difficult when you're on social media because you feel like you don't see people who are like you or you see people who you thought were like you and then they lost a ton of weight to fit in a certain thing, (laughs) which is again, not realistic. And quite frankly, when you were talking about the genetics, I got a little teary eyed because hearing someone say that your body shape and how you are, it's genetic. Like this is it. And you can't necessarily mold that into the way that you think you can. So it's like letting go of that control. So I've been doing a lot of that on Instagram and I discovered these shorts are called hammies, H-A-M-M-I-E-S. They're at a local boutique I shop at, but you can also find them online. They're kind of like throwback from the seventies. They're like corduroy, but they're just super comfy and adorable. And I feel like they have models that are in all different sizes and shapes. And it's just Everybody looks fabulous. Like they just have a wonderful, the way they're cut and the fit, everybody looks happy wearing them. They're in bright colors. The back waistband is elastic and the material is stretchy. And I don't know, I feel like people have issues with short season. And I know too many women out there who just won't wear shorts. And I just want to rail against that. Like we're not doing that. This 2022, we're wearing two-piece bathing suits and we're wearing shorts. And I love these so much. They're called hammies. They come in all sizes. They actually have them for men too and for kids. So if you're in the market for shorts, they are on the pricey side, but I would say so far that they are worth it. I love them. I've been wearing them every single day. Oh my gosh, Kristen. (laughs) I love that so much too, because so often we don't have clothes that really feel good. And I don't know what size they go up to, but it's really common for people that do feel like they're in a larger body, that they can't find clothes that just feel comfortable and fit well. And so to have, you know, different options, this is so great. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being here. You're awesome. Thank you. So happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks to our awesome engineer, John Bowen, and our guest, Nicole Cruz. How awesome is she? If you've got a moment, please leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate your time in doing that. You know, when you subscribe, when you download our episodes, and here's a super easy thing you can do, text or share this episode with someone. If you've got someone in your life, you have a friend, a family member who could really benefit from hearing some of the amazing things that Nicole talked about, please do that. Just send a text. Be like, listen to this podcast. You can also join us in our Spawn podcast community on Facebook. We also have Recipe Rescue and Out Tech Your Kids. We chat about show topics and pretty much anything else that you'd like to talk about. And lately, I have been addressing this topic, at least when it comes to myself and perimenopause and eating things and all of that good stuff on Instagram. So we're Cool Mom Picks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. Liz will be back next week. Have a great day. Bye.